John 4.10. We've already read it this morning. I want to read it again as we kind of scratch the surface of love. Uh, 1 John 4.10 says, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation is just that same idea. Paying a penalty for someone that they couldn't pay. All right? So propitiation, that's, that's the concept. So in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the payment for our sin. Um, I want to walk through each one of these specific definitions. There's, there's three specific phrases here in this definition and help us to uh, understand a little bit about what love is. And this is, like, I, I need us, as, as we understand this love, I need us to, to stop for a second and put aside what we think we know about love. Can you do that for me? Can you put aside the, the undercover boss, the hallmark version, the, the, you know, the 80s Meg Ryan movie definition of love? Can we put that aside and seek to understand what love is? And, and I, want you, I, want to, I want you to hear this. I've been saying this a lot lately is that I believe that every time you walk through the doors to come to church, any church, not just North Church, any church, anytime you walk through... The God of the universe, the King of glory, desires to say something to you. Let me, let me say that again. The, the God of the universe who spoke the world into creation is a personal God, and he desires to have a personal relationship with you. And this morning, he wants to say something to you. And I, I think this is what he said to me, and I think this is what he wants to say to you is, I love you. And I want you to put aside what you think you know about love and, and let's see what the Bible has to say about the way or the, the, the method, the, the realness of love that God has for you. It's big. So I, I, you've heard this before from, from pastors, from Sunday school teachers, from preachers, from, from bumper stickers. God loves you. I, I, want, you, I want you to let... Let that be in your mind for a second. God loves you, but not with this Hallmark kind of love, but this 1 John 4.10 sort of love. So this is the definition of love. First, not that we have loved him. So I just said God loves you. But what this is telling us, not that we have first loved him, and the, the subtlety of that phrase is that love that God has for you is not born in you. See, here's, here's the, the problem with our love song and, and romantic comedy idea of, of what love is, is that it has something to do with the object of the love. Like you've done something that is, like when, has anybody ever had, like when you've been in love, has anybody ever said, why do you love me? Anybody ever asked that question before? Ever, anybody ever had that question asked of them before? What does your mind go to? Because you are fill in the blank. Or because you're the best that I've ever found. You're, but all of, all of our concept of love is rooted in, in the object of the love, Right? Why do you love me? Because you are this. Well, if, that, if we take that to its, its fullness, 
That would mean if I can find somebody who is more, you are the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. I love you because you're beautiful. Well, what if I find someone more beautiful? Does that mean I don't love you anymore? I love her? You follow that? 1 John 4.10, the way that God loves you, it's not born in you. You have no ability to make yourself more lovable to God. Because real love is born in the lover, not the lovee. That's crucial for us to understand when we think about love and the way that we love and the way that we're called to love. But more than that, this is, I I sent this tweet out this morning. This is my goal this morning for us is that we would behold the love of Jesus. And behold is kind of a churchy word, right? But the concept is we would see Jesus and his love for all that it is. And it starts with this idea. It's got nothing to do with you. I want to say that again. The fact that God loves you, that Jesus loves you, has nothing to do with you. And that can kind of be a confusing thing. It can be good or that can be bad. Like, wait a second. There's, like, I, I want to I earn this. I want to have something to do with this. I want to be lovable. No, the the. The nature of the love of God is born and rooted out of his character and who he is, which is the second part of this. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. It is God's love is an initiating force that came from God. It's because of who he is, because of what he, who he's like. It's just because of his character. It's just God being God. God doesn't have to decide to love you. He is love. God doesn't have to decide to to shower grace upon you. He is grace. This is who God is. This is behold your God. He is love. He is so loving to you that while you were yet unlovable, he sent his son Jesus to die for you. And that is a beautiful picture. This is the definition of love. And like You've, if you've been in church before, you've heard this verse before, or you've at least this phrasing has rattled in your brain before. Not that you have loved God, but that he first loved you to, be the, to pay the penalty for your sin. That's a concept that's, that's broad. It's all throughout Scripture. But I, I want you to see that idea. There's nothing lovable about, lovable about you. And what is the initiating loving force is in God and not something he decided to do. It's just something that he is. And the ramifications of that, the results of that, the effects of that are Jesus coming to this earth to live among us, to bring to us this concept of love. Do you know that if Jesus doesn't come to the earth, you are not capable of loving that's, that's, a, that's a big thing. If God's plan to bring love, to show us what love is, we're a bunch of selfish lovers, and we are anyway. But look at this door. Jesus enters in to your imperfection with his perfection to show you and let you experience love. Love that is not born in you, but born in God. It is the giver of love. So this is the definition of love that I've kind of come up with from 1 John 
Love begins with self-sacrifice to bring the object of love to a place of complete soul satisfaction. And this is something that is born in the lover and not the one being loved. So let's open the Bible to, to 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. And, and this is a, it does a great job of laying out simple and practical things about what love is and what love is not. It's going to be on the screen as well. But as, as we get to these 1 Corinthians 13 in these short, simple little phrases, I want, to, I want you to understand a couple of things. One is that Jesus has entered into your world Okay, so we see, we celebrate on Christmas that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. He entered into the world in a city called Bethlehem. We could go there today. It's a practical place. But what I want us to see as we read 1 Corinthians 13 is that Jesus entered into your world. Jesus entered into your heart, walked through the door of your heart, and sat down in your living room and offers you this gift of love. And it... I just, if we can get to the place to, to really think and understand it and see that metaphor that Jesus entered into your heart and offers you the gift of love, it would blow, a, blow our minds. But as we, as we see each one of these simple little phrases, I want us to see three things. First is Jesus. I want us to see the way that Christ loved us. These are descriptions of Jesus, how he loves us, and we're reminded of the birth of Jesus, but this is who Jesus is and what he brought to us. Second, I want us to see our context. Okay? When I say our context, I mean your family, your friends, your neighborhood, your workplace, your schools, all of these things. I want you to see the love that Jesus has for you and thus the love that he's calling you to have for your context. And then I want you to see the gospel. So Jesus, your context, and the gospel. And the gospel is just saying that you are, when we start to really understand what these words mean, we're going to realize that we are really bad at love. I love my wife deeply. I love my children deeply. But if I were being graded from 1 Corinthians 13 on the way that I love my children and I love my wife, I would fail. And I love them deeply. And I fail. So that drives me to my knees to ask God to give me the grace to love better, to love well. So let's get into 1 Corinthians 13. Uh, Love is patient. Think this week about your love, the people that are around you that you're called to love. Think about your family. Think about the things that you have said to some people that are really close to you, maybe your, your, your wife or your husband or your best friend, about your family. Oh my God, if I have to say five more minutes here, I'm going to drive me, drive me crazy. Tell me who you haven't had that thought at least this week. Like it's a good thing they live in Houston or it's a good thing they live two hours away from me. You're, a, you're, you're really bad at love. That was, that was kind of pointed. I'm sorry. But I, I want to just say that I, I include myself in you. Like, I'm, I'm really bad at this. My love is not patient. Like, let it be Christmas Eve and Christmas Day were just filled with 
stuff to do for our family. Like we wake up and start working and then at midnight it's time to exhale and go to bed. And from the time you wake up until the time you go to bed, there's stuff to do. And our kids are filled with sugar and our kids are are not filled with sleep. And so they're really, really crabby. And so am I. And patience is not something that's true of these people that I desperately love. But Jesus, in his love, is patient with you. Isn't that good news? Like, think about how impatient you are. Jesus, the love that he brings to you as a gift, is perfectly patient. That word patient means bearing the offenses and injuries of others. To be patient is to, is to it also translated as delayed long. You delay your anger. You delay the offense. You delay an injury. But it's also kind. I'm always on my kids about the way they treat each other. Kind. Think about the word kind. Um, when, let's, let's, let's interact here. When I say the word when I say, what does it mean to be kind? What, is, what does that mean to you guys? Not rhetorical. Mr. Rogers. Mr. Rogers. All right. I got on my Mr. Rogers shoes, by the way. Mr. Rogers. He's kind, yeah. Why is Mr. Rogers kind, Al? Because he wears a sweater. He wears a, the cardigan sweater. Yeah, that's, why, that's what makes him kind. But it is, like, it, it does, it's warmth. Okay, all right, there we go. Now we've got a real definition. Thank you. Now we've got a real definition of kind. It, it's warm. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> Treats everyone like they're special. Gentle. Like, to really love someone is this. Love is Kind. So let's, let's go back. Let's see Jesus and how he's kind to us. Let's see our context, how Jesus is calling us to be this in our context, our families, our, our, our friends, our neighborhoods, our workplaces, our jobs. God is calling you to be kind there. And then lastly, see the gospel, that you are not that. You might be that for a season or for a time, but... Let the wrong circumstances get around you, and kindness is done. What else is love? Love does not envy. And that word envy means to burn with envy, anger, or hatred. Love does not envy. Burning with envy or anger, or hatred. It doesn't boast. That word means embellishments or extolling oneself. It's also the same idea behind the word electioneering. Like the root of Greek is the root of electioneering. We can see that pretty obviously here, right? In our world. I am great. That guy is terrible. That's like we're going to, we've already been bombarded with it, but it's going to get worse. If I show you a picture of 
Hillary Clinton, if I show you a picture of Donald Trump, if I show you a picture of Bernie Sanders, these, these people, their job right now is to get you to embellish who they are and what they believe and, and that they can make this world a great place, right? A, a political ad, this is their, the job of a political ad. This is what this word means, to boast, is to get you to think something, embellish something that's a little bit true about me and make it really true. This is, love is not that. It's not arrogant. This word arrogant just means to inflate. Um, Verse five, it's not rude. Did you guys go to the mall yesterday? The day after Christmas, it's, it's a zoo, it's crazy. Everybody's looking at me like, why would I do that? I did. <laughs> Sorry, I guess that was a mistake. But really, I went to do some research for this word rude. <laughs> um, love also doesn't lie. I just lied. Um, but, like, you know what I'm talking about, right? Drive down, drive down Lindbergh at, like, five o'clock and watch rude happen. Love is not rude. What, think about the next time someone is rude to you, here's what I want to have happen. I want you to hear the voice of Jesus saying to you, I love you. Because the love of God is, is not rude. It wants to give to you. It wants to, to, to make your soul eternally satisfied. Do you know that? Do you know that in the depths of you that, that God wants to love you in such a way as to completely satisfy your soul? Every longing that you've ever had, God wants to satisfy that. And that's what love is. To really love someone. You could never be rude to someone who you deeply desire for their soul to be eternally satisfied. And chances are, I've been rude to almost all of you. And some of you I met five minutes ago. Or 30 minutes ago. Whatever. But the... We are incapable of this being born in us. Does does 1 John 4.10, not that we first loved God, but that he loved us, does it make more sense now that we understand the depth and perfect nature of love? Continuing on in verse 5, it does not insist on its own way. Watch, Watch your kids with this one. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable. Man, this one, this one especially. Irritable. I am, make me, if, if I'm busy in the moment, and if, if I don't have any coming hope of being unbusy, like, the next three days are going to be super busy for me, and this moment is very busy for me. Don't mess with me in that moment because I am easily irritated. Are you like that? Dude, I was just honest with you guys. <laughs> like, are you like that? Seriously? Yeah, for real. 
Like, that for me, it's, it's I'm the most easily irritated when I'm stressed and busy and I got something I have to do. And just leave me alone. That happened about 8.30 this morning, sitting right back there in the chair when my kids wouldn't leave me alone. And I was studying this. <laughs> and that's, right, that's silly and, and you should laugh there. But it, that's the gospel, right? I am, I'm a, I'm a pastor for crying out loud, about to talk about being irritated and that's not what love is. And I'm irritated at the ones that I'm supposed to love deeply. I am desperately in need of the grace of God. Always, even in this moment. Desperately in love, in need of the grace of God. Verse 6, it does not rejoice at wrongdoing. That wrongdoing is the opposite of the word righteousness, and it really just means sin. It doesn't rejoice when sin happens. It rejoices with the truth. Verse 7, this is, this is the big one. This is what, see Jesus here. See your context here. See the gospel here in verse 7. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love hopes all things. Love endures all things. Because love is dependent upon the giver of love and not the one being loved, the things that tend to chase us away from loving someone are no longer relevant. What sorts of things about people repel you from them? Do you understand the question? What sorts of things about people repel you from them? Like, I don't want to be around that person because they are this. None of that stuff is relevant with God. You could be a jerk and rude and selfish and, and boastful and proud and arrogant and envious and all these ugly attributes. You could be them. It's not relevant for God's love. Do you see the beauty in that? That's so incredible. This is how Jesus loves you. It doesn't matter who you are or what you are or, or your fallings or shortcomings or boastfulness or enviness or irritability. None of that stuff matters. The only thing that matters is what's true about Jesus. And he loves you. See Jesus here. And then, so it's not just enter in, it's not just about Jesus entering into our world. It's the call for you. To enter into the world around you where love is not present and be love that is that bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Isn't it good news that this is the way that Jesus loves you? And none of that ugliness is relevant. But the call for that is this is how you are to love your neighbor. Somebody said to Jesus, when he said, love your neighbor, he said, who is my neighbor? And he told the story about the Good Samaritan. And what he was communicating with that story is, someone that you are sworn by virtue of who you are to hate, that's your neighbor. 
That's the one that I want you to, to love. This is the call. God loves you this way. He calls you to love this way. And you're incapable of that. So what do we do with that? We ask for grace. Grace, many times, is about being forgiven from our sin. But it's, that's a, a half definition of grace. Grace is giving to us that which we do not have in us to go and do what God has called us to do. We need, I need grace to love you. Because the fact of the matter is you're not very easy to love. You need grace to love me because the fact of the matter is I'm not very easy to love. And as we've talked about, it doesn't matter about the object of your love. It only matters what's in the lover. And it's not in you to not be boastful or arrogant, proud or envious. It's not in you to be kind all the time perfectly. We see it in Jesus. He calls us in our context. And now we fall on our face asking for grace to be this sort of love. In verse 8, it's just part of verse 8, but it's, it's beautiful. Love never ends. I don't have any Greek nuance word for these three words. And I don't have any great illustrations because they're just simple and they speak really loud. His love never ends. Never ends. Christmas is over. It ended. December 25th is now 363 days away. God's love never ends. Ever. You're incapable of ridding yourself from it. You're incapable of hiding from it. You're incapable of putting yourself in a position where it doesn't surround you. Jesus loves you, and his love never, ever ends. Behold your Jesus, your Savior. He loves you. Jesus loves you. Let's pray. Oh God, how I thank you for your son Jesus. You are a good and holy and wonderful God. You have shown us your love. God, I pray that you would teach us how to love and how to be love. God, we give these moments to you. Guide us as we seek to behold you. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name.